So, Nate came to me and he said, would you speak on forgiveness? And I was like, sure. So today, we're going to speak on forgiveness. Here's the Bible. Read it. Done. <laughs> that's, that's the version of a pastor's mic drop, if you didn't get that, right? So, let me take a seat here and cozy up to the fire. You guys are warm, huh? Um, I was thinking about this message, and I didn't really know how to start talking about it, and my wife said, you've got a great thing that you can say. So last week, Pastor Nate gave you men a warning that there was a day coming last week, and it was called Valentine's Day. And if you forgot, this message here on forgiving is for you. In all seriousness, forgiving is, um, it's difficult, and there may be times today some of us may, who are sitting here might go, I really don't like what I'm hearing, I want to get up and leave, and that's okay. So, um, and by the way, I'm not going to judge you if you get up, you're probably just going to the bathroom, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> or getting a, a, another cup of coffee. Um, Today, though, looking at forgiveness, it is throughout the entire Bible, Um, but there's some key things, I would say, parts of forgiving um, that are in the scripture repeated over and over and over, and Jesus repeats them over and over and over. I want to pull out those things today uh, with with you alongside of me. In talking about forgiving, the cool part is that Pastor Nate has already laid the foundation for us. So two weeks ago, he talked about not having fear in relationship, but our call to having love. And the Greek word is agape love, a charity type of love um, in relationship. And then last week, if you missed it, he talked about uh, moving from ourself in relationship to moving um, to selflessness, so uh, thinking about others before ourselves, And so those are two key principles that lay the foundation, so the, the soil, so to speak, for our talk today. In this teaching series that Pastor Nate has been going through, uh, there's a principle that he's pulled out as well that I want to just remind you of if you missed it, um, and that is that spiritual relationships are synced and that's a computer term, so um, synced with our relationship with other people. In other words, there's many similarities in our relationship with each other as there are uh, with our relationship with God. And so today we're going to take that principle further and look at, at a passage of Scripture um, with that in mind. So today we're going to be looking at Matthew 18. So if you have a Bible or if you have it like Bible on your phone, Um, you can turn to Matthew chapter 18, and then uh, we're going to be reading a story that Jesus gives in verse 21 through 35. So as I'm looking that up, and I know it's going to be, some of you have the cheat, right? It's on the screen. Um, But as I'm looking that up, I'll just kind of give you a background of what we're going to be reading here, the context, so to speak. 
So the person who wrote this story, who recorded this story, is named Matthew, i.e., the book of Matthew. So he wrote the whole, a whole account of Jesus' life. Now, there's three other accounts of Jesus' life, three other men who wrote and recorded about Jesus. Matthew's one of those. Matthew was a tax collector. Yeah. So he was Jewish, but he worked for the Romans, and he collected taxes for the Romans. He was not well-liked. We'll put it that way. So the Romans looked at him as scum. The Jews certainly looked at him as scum because he was working for a nation who had conquered the Jews during that time, Rome. And so he was not looked at well. One day, in, in the book of Matthew, you can see it recorded just a few chapters back, he is, he is sitting there, likely in his tax booth, collecting taxes. Jesus walks along and says two words, follow me. And Matthew gets up, leaves his business, and follows Jesus. That powerful. And so here we see Matthew now, a changed man, writing about the story of Jesus. He became a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Now, where we're going to read at is located in the little town of Capernaum. Capernaum is a fishing village. So, you know, these guys, that's mostly what the income is of this town. They go out and they go fishing off of the Sea of Galilee. Um, And where we're going to pick up, it's really cool because I started reading it at first, and I'm like, oh, he's talking to everybody. Jesus is talking to everybody. It's like, no, he's not talking to everybody. So earlier, a chapter or two back, Jesus was talking to the whole crowd, okay? The whole, everybody, everybody that would come and listen to him, he was talking to them, okay? So that's kind of like the big circle. And then, at the beginning of 18, he zeroes in and starts talking to his disciples. That's a smaller circle. And you know, when you get into a smaller circle, you start sharing, it's easier to share more and more things. But here, where we're going to read, one disciple comes to Jesus. So it's a one-on-one. And we get an opportunity, thousands of years later, to be almost like the, you know that term, the fly on the wall? You know, it's like we get to listen in on the conversation. It's Peter. Peter's coming to Jesus. And he's got some questions. You know, like, it's almost like he's coming to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, I hear what you've been talking about, but I've got some question. I've got a question for you. And Jesus, just so you know, he's been talking to his disciples mostly about forgiveness. And he threw in a parable of a, a lost sheep and a shepherd going out of his way to rescue one sheep out of a hundred, leaving the 99, um, how important it is to rescue that one sheep. Um, at the beginning of Matthew 18, okay? And then right before Peter goes to him, he was talking to Peter uh, and the disciples about how to approach uh, a fellow brother or sister who has offended you, all right? And so Peter comes to him with this question, and then we're gonna read it, and then he tells Peter a story to illustrate it, and then right after that, he starts talking about marriage and divorce, right? So we're going to jump right in, if you're there, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I'm using the New International Version. It's a version of uh, the translation from the original. 
Um, but any, any version is a great version in this. So um, let's, let's, let's pick up reading. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Sorry, he doesn't say truth. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So we're pause there. <laughs> so here's Peter, and he's like, Jesus, I know you've talked to me about forgiving people, but it's almost like he's saying, there's this guy. There's this guy. He just keeps offending me over and over. I'm doing what you're saying, Jesus. Come on. But for real, like, this guy keeps doing the same thing over and over. And yeah, he's coming back to me and saying he's sorry, but he keeps doing it. You know, like, you know, imagine Peter, big, gruff fisherman, getting a little upset. Now, maybe he wasn't saying there was this guy. Maybe he was saying it was his wife, you know. (laughs) He was married, but uh, whoever it was, right, whoever it was, um, it's almost like he's got somebody in mind. Just seven times, right, Jesus? Seven's the perfect number, and then we're done, right? Jesus is like, no, 77 times. And that number there is representing, in Jewish culture, an infinite amount of times, all right? Really, Jesus? That many? I can almost see it on Peter's face, you know, like, whoa, okay. Like, so then Jesus goes on further to explain, and he uses a story, what we call parables, to explain this principle that he's telling Peter, right? So we're going to jump into that story. It's a cool story. And we'll learn some things on forgiveness and what forgiveness truly is. And it may be surprising to you. He says here, verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. In other words, this man, some translations say, 10, say 10,000 bags of gold. Um, that's the equivalent today of millions of dollars. It's a, bet, it's, a, it's a debt that this guy would in no way be able to pay back. And since he's not able to pay it back, the king moves to put him into slavery. Some of your translations will say slavery. So he was about to be put into slavery. But then, listen to what happens. The servant fell on his, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master, that's the king, took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Already, Jesus has gone through what forgiveness looks like, and I'm going to spell it out to you, but there's more to the story. Jesus is about to make a point by contrasting something, and it starts with the word but in the next verse. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a owed him hundred denarii. Now, a denarii is about one day's worth of wages. 
So like what you would get in one day. So this guy owed 100 days worth. Not millions of dollars. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Almost the exact same words he had said to the king. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Remember, the master is the king. What do you think the king would do? Hmm. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then we see Jesus turning to Peter. And he says something really intense. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Ooh, that's hard. It's difficult. And there's reasons why it's difficult. We'll talk about those today a little bit. But his tone changed very quickly at the end. So here's the servant. The servant goes, the, the king goes to the servant. The servant has a debt he can't pay off. The king forgives him, but then he goes and throws someone who owes him uh, into jail. He throws that person into jail, and then the king says, hey, you know, like, you've done something very wicked. And then we see the result. From this story, there is a pattern of forgiveness, or you could call it the process of forgiveness, that's taking place in this story. And I want to pull it out for you today. It's very simple, but it's difficult because it has to do with our heart, ultimately. All right? There's three parts to forgiving that are said over and over and over again. Earlier in Matthew 18, Jesus talks about these three parts, and he lays them out very clearly. And then if you want to see them even more clearly, just in two verses, write this down if you want. It's Luke 17 three through four, and there Jesus lays out this pattern very clearly, what we're about to look at in this story, okay? The first part of forgiving, you ready? Let's jump in, is rebuke. It's a hard word, rebuke. You see here in verse 23 through 25, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, or 10,000 bags of gold, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. You see here, the king is going and rebuking the servant, saying, you have a debt to me, and this is something that, um, that you owe, all right? So there's a rebuke there. If we look at this spiritually, We could say the king represents God. And God comes to us and says, you've sinned against me. You've done wrong. 
against me. It's serious. God is more than just a king. He's the creator of the world. And we have sinned against him. In his book, The Joy of Forgiving, a man named Andrew Murray uh, writes and says, sin is a rebellion against God. It's a disobedience against who God is. That's why it's so scary. It's like the millions of dollars that the man owed the king, and he can't pay it back. And the king goes to him to settle it. Eventually, the king, God himself, is going to go to us to settle the debt as well. That's why it's so scary. And I know we want to jump ahead like we usually do and, and talk about the other part of it. But we've got to stay on this rebuke because it's really important. All right? We are like that servant who's in slavery to sin. And we need, we need this process of forgiveness. And that rebuke has to be there at times. Remember, though, that the same principles of spiritually related in relationship can be applied to us in our relationship to each other as well. What do I mean? What I mean is that if we're truly wanting to forgive someone, we are instructed to rebuke someone who has sinned against us, who has wronged us, to address the sin that's against us. That, when we address the sin that's against us, it's actually giving opportunity to the person who's wronged us to change the course of their life, to change the behaviors that are happening in their life. This is a key part of moving towards the ultimate goal of forgiveness, which is reconciliation. The Bible commands us to do this so that we can have harmony and unity with other people. Now, I know what you're thinking. Like, rebuke, that's a hard word. It sounds like judgment, but hear me out. There's three different ways that you can approach rebuke. Three different, you could call motives of the heart. The first one is to say, I've forgiven them in my heart. I've let it go. But if we leave it at just that, we fall into what I would call emotional forgiveness. And that is giving into the belief that forgiveness is just about letting go of bitterness and anger within ourselves. Surprisingly, this definition of forgiveness took hold in 1984. There was a therapist named Louis Smedes, and he wrote a book called Forgive and Forget. And in that book, he said that forgiving is, quote, ceasing to feel resentment or anger. Yes, we are called to put away bitterness and anger. Colossians 3 says that very thing. Put away for, put away. Uh, bitterness and anger. It specifically says that. We're called to have agape love, charity love towards each other. Remember, we've already laid that foundation in the last two messages. But this is not only what forgiveness is. Our heart is only the start. Actions proceed from the heart. The problem with this type of definition of forgiveness that even myself, I've bought into this as well, But if we just stay with this, it's strictly based on emotion, not action. 
But in the original scrolls, in the original Greek, the word forgive, forgiveness, is a verb. It's an action, an interaction between two parties. If it's just about what's happening in my own self, we find ourselves saying, I forgive them, yeah. But then we avoid them, don't we? We don't want to be around them. And we'll avoid them at all costs. And that, that actually can become our motive, which is avoidance. It becomes our method of operation, right? Our MO, which can eventually lead to further blow-ups because we keep running from conflict. And the offender's behavior, who offended us, it goes unchecked. Let me ask you a tough question. That type of forgiveness that's just in you, not rebuking someone, is that loving to let someone continue on in that behavior without rebuking them? Is that true love? You're not giving them the opportunity to change, and it will continue over and over. It's, this is tough. Jesus is calling us to something greater than that type of forgiveness, but it's difficult. The second way when it comes to rebuke, and some of you might have thought this in time when somebody offends you, like, oh, I'll tell them their wrongs. Like, yeah, I'll totally rebuke them, and I'll do it over and over. The, the emotion in my voice helps you understand <laughs> what the motive is, right? I call this the guilt trip motive of rebuking people. We rebuke them, though, because out of two things. Because we're angry, attempting to guilt the person into change, or, or we rebuke them because we want to have a power trip and we want to have control over them. And so we continue to point out their wrongs. The problem is with this is that the goal isn't to bring about reconciliation. It's to make ourselves feel bigger and better and put the offender down. Ultimately, it's a form of vengeance. I was in this years ago with my wife where I was guilting her and pointing out her offenses over and over. Like, why do you keep laying the clothes on the floor? Just small things that weren't even really sins. And I kept pointing out these things over and over, guilt tripping my wife. But the truth is, I was the one struggling with sins in my own life and attacking her, putting her down to make myself feel better. In reality, I wanted to, for her to feel guilty because I was feeling guilty. Misery loves company. And then we started guilting each other, and the cycle continued over and over in our relationship with each other, where she would guilt me, I would guilt her, and it just escalated. Anybody relate? I've been there. Does it sound like real love? No. Forgiveness is what Jesus is talking about. This rebuke that, that we see over and over in the scripture isn't about guilting somebody. It's about helping somebody. It's about hoping in that person that they can change for good. That's the third motive in rebuking someone is through a heart of love, careful prayer, reflection of yourself, saying, God, check my heart before I go to this person, 
If there's any wayward way in me, David, thousands of years ago, said the same thing. Show me my part. Help me to love this person as you love this person. I'm a sinner too, God. I've messed up. And I need people to show when I go astray. God, help me when I approach this person. The second part of forgiveness is in verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The second part of forgiving is repentance. Repentance is twofold. The first part of repentance is sorrow. Sorrow for us wronging somebody. That's why we say, I'm sorry. It's connected with that word sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Repenting is about admitting that we have done wrong, and it's admitting that, yeah, there is a debt that I owe, right? With God, you think about with God. There's a debt that I owe, and repenting is saying, I have sinned against you, God. I've done wrong. And humbly confessing that sin, that you need God's mercy. God, I've sinned not only against you, but so many people, I need help. Like the servant, we say, I want to make things right. This is the second part of repentance. It's turning away from the things we've done wrong, the behaviors that we continue to do. And saying, I want to do better. Help me, God, to follow you. We've all sinned in our life. But the question is, have we confessed it? Have we repented? Have we truly cried out in sorrow to God? The late pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor, said in his book, A Testament to Freedom. He said that without repentance, in the process of forgiveness, without repentance... Grace is actually cheapened. He even took it in his book so far to say that he believed it was the reason for the collapse of the church in Germany prior to World War II. Again, looking at the idea of repentance, okay? This principle is with us between between us with humans as well. It's so important. It's difficult for us to do, though. It's like me. I'm like, you're going to accuse me of doing something wrong against you? I reject you. Why is it there's this barrier that rises up in us? Do you feel it sometimes? It's pride. I don't want to admit that I've hurt somebody because I'm then putting myself under your authority and under your power because you're accusing me of something. I'm admitting that I failed. My pride says I should not admit that I've done wrong. And suddenly I have to wait for this person to forgive me. I don't want to be there. It's uncomfortable. My wife and I, when we got married, we realized we had two different ways of approaching forgiveness and repentance. She gave me permission to say this. I know, I know it is, Greg. Um, Whenever I would offend, and she pointed out to me, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'd say, I'm sorry real fast. But then she said, you keep doing it. 
I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Do you really mean it? And if she would offend me, and I'd point it out, she was very, very slow to forgive. And we realized this was happening in our relationship. And those two parts really are needed, right? The needed of, I want to repent and be sincere about it, and, but to truly have sorrow. Um, but can I, I want to be able to do that in a sincere way as fast as I can. And so we started putting some of these things even into practice with our kids, um, helping them go through this process that I'm taking you through today of forgiveness and what that looks like. Jesus wants us to have sincerity in our sorrow, but he also wants us to have that humility to put ourselves lower than the other person and to say, like, I'm sorry and I want to change in the same way that he calls us spiritually in relationship with him. The third part of forgiving is found in verse 27. And it and it's, says, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. The king let go of the debt. So the third part is release. I had to use an R word. Have you caught on to that? They're all R words. Come on, I'm a pastor. You got to give me a break. Trying to make it easy for you to remember. But the best way to illustrate release is looking at this, the rest of this story, right? We see the opposite taking place at the end where the servant is owed something by the other servant and instead of release, let's stick with the R words, he refuses to forgive. And then what happens? The other servants give a report. Sticking with the R words. <laughs> and then there's a king's reaction. There we go. Okay. In short, avoid the king's reaction and be willing to forgive. Release the debt that's owed to you, okay? Um, that is ultimately what we want. He's saying to Peter, you too should continue forgiving multiple times, just as our king, the Father God, has forgiven us. The human tendency is to seek revenge. Maybe you do it out of choking somebody like this servant. Hopefully not. Probably end in jail. Um, but it might be guilting somebody. The list could go on of how we try to seek revenge. But Jesus calls us to something way more difficult. And why is it difficult? Because it has to do with our heart. It's changing our heart from pride and saying, I'm going to humble myself during this situation. Through Jesus, our debts have been paid and we are free from slavery to sin. Why not demonstrate this core principle to others as well? Today you've heard three simple patterns or processes of forgiveness. There's different things that may have come up in your heart. And I want to address you just briefly here at the end, this last minute, as we wrap up. Some of you have never heard of forgiveness in this way. You've never heard that you actually need forgiveness from God. 
And there's a process to this. But here's the thing. Through Jesus dying on the cross, there's forgiveness waiting for you today. It starts with humbling yourself and saying, I am a sinner. It starts with us admitting we need God's supernatural help. And us saying, God, please forgive me for the things that I've done in my life. I want to be right with you. Please pardon these debts that I have to you. It's available to you today. There's two other things that we talked about today. You might be there. There are those of us here whom God has put someone on your heart, someone you've offended possibly, someone you've hurt. Right now, I want you to take action. There's a pen in front of you. I want you to write down either their initials or their name in front of you. Go ahead. You know what Jesus is asking of you. If you've hurt someone, it's time to repent to them, to confess to them you've done wrong. Whether they forgive you or not, that's their decision, but you have to do your part in attempting to make it right. Now the third thing, there are some of us in here who are avoiding someone. Someone who's hurt us. Who we could just say sinned against us. If you're in that position, take that pen, write down their name. Go ahead. I'll give you a chance. I won't look. Write down someone who's hurt you. It's not that you have to forgive them just in your heart as you say you've done. That's called love and patience. That's called forbearance. We as Christians are all asked to have that. A releasing of our feelings of bitterness and hatred. No, forgiving in its purest form is about going to the person and confronting them. Allowing them to have the opportunity to change and the relationship to have harmony, to be reconciled. Maybe somebody who's passed away. You're off the hook. You can't approach them. It might be somebody who's a stranger, and they're not in your life. You don't know who they are, and they hurt you. You're off the hook. You can't, you can't rebuke them. You can't approach them. But if it's somebody you know, Jesus is asking you to do something very difficult, to move from emotional forgiveness to action. And this week, you are to make the attempt to go to them and let them know that they have hurt you. It's hard. I'm going to pray for you now. God, I pray that you would just help each one of us in this room to put into action what you, Jesus, have told us to do. To go to people who have hurt us. To give them the opportunity out of love to change. Father, thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us. You are so willing to forgive. That when we repent, we have your forgiveness available to us. Thank you so much for your grace. I pray that you would help us to go from here and to put into action what we've heard throughout our life. 
to put it into a pattern in our relationships so that we can be in harmony and unity with others. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.